having a child can be a major stressor for partner relationships. And so having before the child is born conversations about what's nighttime parenting going to look like, who's going to do the grocery shopping, you know, what are our roles going to be? What are the boundaries going to be around work? Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howell, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. I'm excited to be here today with Dr. Cassidy. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist that specializes in postpartum anxiety and parenting. She has built the most beautiful and supportive online community on Instagram and has a podcast called Holding Space, where she dives deeper into topics about mental health and parenting. Dr. Cassidy, I would love it if you started by telling us how you became a therapist and why you're so passionate about it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just getting a chance to connect with you off of Instagram, like in real time, seeing your face. I love this. So thank you for having me. So I am, as you said, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have a private practice in Southern California, and it's virtual. So I'm able to see folks who reside in the state of California, anywhere in California. And I specialize in working with parents or folks who are navigating fertility, their journey to becoming a parent, pregnancy, postpartum, and those early years of parenting with young kiddos. I'm a mom to three, and I decided to become a therapist. Really, if we wanted to look at like the like the point in my life where I think I really made that shift in decision. I was, I had a summer job working at a group home for kids who were abused and neglected and had been taken from their homes. And there were therapists that worked there as well. And I had these 10 hour shifts, you know, in these cottages with the kids. And I remember many moments where I felt so ill-equipped to be able to support these kids and wanting to be able to support them and being able to see how the therapists there were able to show up and support these kids in such a traumatic, difficult moment and season in their life. Children who had also experienced trauma before they had been taken from their homes. And so at that point, I made the decision to pursue a degree in psychology. And then when I graduated, I was working with adults with disabilities as a resource counselor and found that working with these adults, it was so important to be able to incorporate working with their families as well. So that led me to pursuing marriage and family therapy. And once I started seeing clients, I found myself really drawn to working with 
folks who are navigating, as I said, fertility, pregnancy, postpartum. And then I got pregnant and had a child. And after that experience really rocked me and my partner and I, that's when I became so much more passionate about not just working with this population, but also finding a way to spread awareness because I was a therapist and we were so not prepared for how it was going to impact each of us, my partner and I, in terms of our mental health, our relationship, and just how much it was going to bring up from like old stuff, past stuff. Our past can definitely be triggered through parenting. I was so not prepared. (laughs) And I was a therapist. I was like, if I wasn't prepared, then I know others are probably not as well. And so once we healed through our own experience and journey, I continued to do the work with and individuals and couples, but also got on social media as, as a therapist to try to spread awareness and build community and kind of build that bridge that I just felt like I needed when I was expecting and then postpartum to create that space for others and that awareness. So that's when I got on Instagram and started my own podcast, Holding Space. And that, that brings us to where we are today. I've been doing this for over, over a decade. I love that story because it's so similar to Crystal and I's and why we started expecting and empowered. It was, we had the training, like we both had prenatal certifications, everything when it comes to exercise. And then we went through it ourselves (laughs) and we were like, if we can't even figure this out, because it's just such a major life experience. But I love that in both of our stories, it's the fact that we went through it and then we're trying to turn around and put our hand back for other women coming behind Mm -hmm. us and saying like, here's where we struggled. Like, let us help you. So I love what you do. I love what you do on Instagram because I find your community to be so non-judgmental. And this day and age, sometimes when you're on Instagram, it can be hard (laughs) to find accounts where you're like, I'm I'm trying to learn. Like, I don't want to be shamed. I want to move forward. It's so important because there is, there can be so much shame even when someone's trying to share information and teach about something like sleep deprivation, like anxiety, like, you know, feeling angry and irritable as a parent, like when you're trying to learn about these things, even feeding your child, right? Like you just, gosh, it's so hard as it is that I think one way that we can this visualization you gave of like kind of turning around and and taking someone's hand, like if we're going to do that, We've got to first like come down to the space of like, I'm in it too. Let's talk about the fact that I'm a therapist. And like the reason I'm so passionate about talking about like anger and rage and all these things is because I totally get swept up into yelling at my kids, yelling at my partner, like being irritable and feeling then so guilty and ashamed of what happens behind closed doors. So what if I you know, in a way that still felt like I was doing it with my own boundaries and in a way that allowed me to sustain doing this. What if I cracked that door open a little bit and was like, hey, it's rough back here, you know, and you're not alone. And, and let me share with you some, some things that I'm continuing to work on myself to be able to show up as a kind of parent and partner and human that I want to be while caring for myself as well. 
The vulnerability just opens doors for other people because they can feel like, like we always say unexpected apart. It's like, you're never alone. Like whatever you're going through, like you are not alone. And so that's one of our big messages, which brings us to our first topic of conversation. And that is for people that are on a fertility journey, because we know that a lot of people do go through that. So whether someone's on that journey, they're trying to conceive and it's taking longer than expected, or for those that are looking to support a friend or family member that are on a trying to conceive journey. I wanted to read this caption that you wrote. It said, it can require you to invest everything you have Mm -hmm. mentally and financially. It can be filled with loss and disappointment. For many, it can include a variety of emotions, anger, resentment, anxiety, fear, and sometimes shame. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, is there anything that you commonly suggest for your patients that are going through a fertility journey? I'm so glad we're starting here because it's a conversation and a topic that I don't think we talk enough about because the experience itself can can be so isolating that while you're in it, you might not be talking about it. But then when you're in it and you're looking for support, because one of the things that we're talking about here that's so important when it comes to any of these you know, challenging experiences is we need community, but it's so difficult to find that. And so I think just by opening up the conversation, maybe one listener might feel less alone and might feel a little bit more courage or willingness to open up to someone or to seek support. So I'm so glad we're starting here. And yeah, oh my gosh, the fertility, the load of fertility and the impact that it can have. There's definitely a risk for anxiety and depression. There's the financial stress Fertility treatments are very expensive and not always covered. And the impact that it can have on your relationship, the stress that it can put on your partnership, navigating boundaries with those that are around you who might share, you know, well, maybe well-intentioned, you know, questions, or they're really invested because they are maybe excited about becoming a grandparent or excited for you to start a family and the questions, the asking, when are you guys going to start or how are things going? And just the, the pressure that that can put on us, because even though we know now all the different factors that can go into why infertility or fertility challenges can be experienced, it is still so very common for the the birthing person, the person who's looking to get pregnant, to experience for themselves this feeling of there must be something wrong with me or I'm broken. And on top of these questions, you know, of when are things going to happen in the pressure and maybe those beliefs that you're having yourself, oh my gosh, it can be so heavy. And then let's then let's consider fertility treatment itself. The hormone fluctuations that you're going to experience is intense. The treatments that you're going to be potentially going through, the fluctuations in your mood, the intensity of your just of your mood and your experiences with those treatments can impact your sense of self, can impact your relationships, can impact other areas of your life like work. Okay, so it's a lot, but there are absolutely things that we can be doing 
that I'll suggest to clients or I'll support them as I kind of, you know, take their hand and, and help walk them through this journey or, you know, anyone to kind of do that can support them as they're navigating their journey to, to doing something that feels so meaningful, which is having a child and, and becoming a parent. And so let's start off with boundaries and breaks. <laughs> you know, when it comes to navigating this journey, it's so important to look at what boundaries you're going to need for yourself. And when I say boundaries, I mean between you and other people. So, you know, communicating, hey, I know that you're so invested in this journey, but when you ask about you know, the status when you ask these, you know, whatever the questions might be being really specific about the things that they might be expressing to you or asking you, it makes me feel overwhelmed and stressed. And what I think that just that statement does is it shares like an acknowledgement and empathy that like they're also invested in this for one, they care, they care, you know, and then that this specific thing that they're saying is not actually helpful. It's causing you to feel overwhelmed. And the hope is that that can be well-received. Now, some folks, and you got to take stock of these different relationships. Not every relationship is the same. Some folks, even opening up that conversation isn't going to feel safe or productive to you. So you might find other ways to set those boundaries, whether it might be, you know, making a choice to not be around certain people, enlisting your partner or someone else to communicate the boundary for you. It might also look like boundaries can also be not just with other people, but with other environments and communities. You might choose to unfollow certain accounts on Instagram that you find really supportive and helpful or people that you really care about, but just seeing their videos, their photos, their feed right now could be triggering and noticing that for yourself and allowing yourself to have that boundary. It could also look like, you know, when you go out to dinner with your partner or, you know, you maybe you take a little break from fertility treatments and you say, we're going to not invite fertility <laughs> to this dinner date. Like we're going to give ourselves permission to talk about other things, to have other conversations, to, you know, maybe, oh gosh, with fertility treatments, there could be so much focus on what you're putting in your body too, what you're eating, what you're drinking. Maybe I need to take a break from that, right? To just to give my body and my mind and my heart a moment to rest. And I know that just the, like the timing, right? It can feel like we have this, you know, ticking clock and we just want to get to the point where we can, you know, no longer be going to the fertility doctor and be pregnant and be on this next part of our journey. But sometimes what we actually really, truly need for our mental health, for our relationships, for our wellness is to take those breaks and to talk to our providers about what that looks like and how we might integrate that. And getting support, right? So finding folks who get it. Because if you're not in it, it's so hard to get it. And so finding the communities, whether it's a support group or the folks who've been through it before, it might just be that person that you work with that you aren't really super close with, but this might be a, an opportunity to connect with someone. And therapy, you know, <laughs> having a space where you can process all the things that you're feeling and experiencing. You know, some research has indicated that going through fertility treatments can actually be as stressful for folks as going through cancer treatments. Or, you know, if someone experienced, you know, a cardiac issue and they're, they're going through rehab, like it can be as stressful of an experience for folks. And so getting support, whether it's through your community, setting boundaries, therapy, 
so important. I know I just talked a lot, but there's just, there's so much to say. (laughs) It was so valuable though. Like everything you said, I think is really going to speak to who needs it. My sister-in-law, I'll never forget one time we were at my in-law's house and she said to my mother-in-law, cause she, you know, People just, they're not trying to be hurtful, but they do say, oh, I wonder when you're going to start a family. Mm. And she said, you know, we have been trying for a long time and you saying that really hurts me in a way that I don't think you realize, but I want to let you know. And I was so proud of her in that moment because it was, it was just needed. Like every time my mother-in-law would, cause she was so excited to have another grandkid someday. Every time she would say that it would really hurt her feelings. But after my sister-in-law made that boundary, like their relationship had some restoration. Yeah. And you know, it won't always be the case that someone will receive that and mm-hmm. then take it in and be like, Oh, I didn't realize. And, and then change. And when that happens, it's so beautiful but it's also beautiful to show up for yourself in that moment, to care for yourself in that moment and set and hold the boundary and to make it very clear, you know, what, what isn't helpful. You know, people will say things like, you know, Oh, they'll, 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 they always want to share the story of, Oh, I know this one person mm-hmm. who like the minute they stopped trying, they got pregnant. And it's like, I think it just, it puts this message, I think on that person that like, Again, it's really about like their brain, their like stress that's like causing this this challenge. And if they could just be less stressed, like, oh, great. Now I'm going to stress about my stress. <laughs> like, thank you. And, you know, again, I think that it's really about taking stock of these relationships. Is this someone that I feel like it's safe? And what I mean by safety, that can mean so many different things. But for some people actually going into setting this boundary yourself can actually be very, very stressful. And there could be repercussions that you know that this relationship could have if you do this. And so there's other ways to set boundaries. It's not always that direct communication. Sometimes it's enlisting someone else to hold that boundary for you. Sometimes it's making the decision that you're not going to go to that dinner. You're not going to do that trip. You're not going to invite them to stay at your house or you're not going to call them. You're not going to have that FaceTime call. Maybe you're going to choose to send text messages that are very clear and to the point. You know, so you have to really take stock of what it is that you're needing right now because so much of your energy is going to be going into this. And so in order to protect that energy, you got to do what you need. And you are so deserving of that protection while you're taking these steps to start your family. Mm, I loved all those points and just the way that you talked, because I think what one thing that Instagram can do is oversimplify. And so for you saying like, for some people that concise, clear statement, isn't going to work. I think that's a really important part of the conversation. It's one of the things that I really struggle with Instagram, actually, even as a content creator is that when I'm in session with a client, what I have the the opportunity to have access to is the nuance of their specific story, their specific relationships, their history, the things that they've experienced that have brought them to these certain beliefs about themselves or about, about relationships. And so being able to take in that nuance and really personalize the support is something that is really aligns with my my own values as a as a supportive person and as a provider and on Instagram it's difficult to do that 
So what I actually find, I really struggle with keeping things concise. Like when I, when I hop on Instagram stories, like stick around for a couple minutes, <laughs> like you're going to see, it's not just going to be four, four slides. It's going to be like 15 because I've got to go into some of the layers. And even so, even then it's still difficult, which is why I think, I think what's so beautiful about Instagram is it can be this like bridge. It can be maybe the first time that you read something or watch something where you're like, oh my gosh. I didn't know others felt this way. How are they in my head? How do they know what happens behind closed doors in these relationships? And then maybe that that moment, that spark can be the bridge to getting the deeper support that you deserve. And sometimes that's by diving into a podcast where you dive in deeper, you have that opportunity. Maybe it's therapy. Maybe it's a course that that content creator, that provider that's on Instagram actually has to offer where you can take that deeper dive. But yeah, I think I, I really see Instagram as like providing that spark and building that bridge. Yeah, because you can't, you know, replace therapy with some Instagram square. No, you can't. You can't. I, I sometimes I try and it doesn't work. <laughs> the next subject I did want to move into because we get this question quite a bit. So I think one of the awesome things is that we are talking about these mental health issues that moms might go through, whether that's in their fertility journey, whether that's during pregnancy, whether that's during postpartum. I personally think it's getting a lot more attention. When I first Mm -hmm. became a mom in 2016, we were still in the phase where like everything was just more buttoned up. Like, nope, don't Mm -hmm. talk about that. Like, keep it tight, keep it white, keep it pretty. Like this. And now I think motherhood, we can have these more vulnerable conversations, but here's what it can also do is sometimes it scares the mom that's pregnant with her first baby. Like she sees all of these experiences and all of these things that other women are going through. And so one question we get is what can I do to prepare myself? And they're talking about mentally. We're not talking about nurseries. We're not talking about hospital bakes. We're talking about how can I mentally prepare myself to become a mom? Because they're seeing all this stuff that can be intimidating. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's so, it's so true. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, well, no, almost 11 years ago. Now, when I had my first, I was a therapist, like I took the birth classes. I had the Pinterest nursery all prepared. She had way too many shoes that baby will never need from like what I registered for. Like I focus on the registry. I focus on the nursery. I took the birthing class. I did take a breastfeeding class and a infant CPR class. And like that, And then I was like, I'm prepared. And then, oh my gosh. (laughs) And so that was actually the inspiration for my colleague, Dr. Sterling and I creating prepared postpartum where we basically like, yeah, you're going to, she's an OBGYN. So we're going to cover all that stuff. But then like, there's so many other ways that you can be preparing for postpartum and putting in place all these protective factors so that no matter what your experience is, because it can be so diverse, the person who had the difficult pregnancy could have had this you know, really beautiful and peaceful birth. The person that had the easygoing pregnancy could have had a really traumatic birth or a lot of difficulty with feeding, or you could have a baby that just like sleeps through the night, like on ease, like easily without you doing all these things, gymnastics, or, you know, you can have a child that just is more colicky or, you know, sleep is just really more difficult. So, okay. A couple of like the key things that I think that are important to talk about for postpartum, to prepare you for postpartum. 
first is sleep. Like we need to make a sleep plan. Like we need to make a plan for you to get sleep, restorative rest, even when your baby isn't sleeping through the night, because the impact that sleep deprivation has on all of the rest of the things, healing, anxiety, depression, your relationships, bonding, like did I say feeding, like your feeding journey, it impacts all of the above. And so talking about getting restorative rest. So what that can look like is, you know, making a plan with your partner, with your support circle. How are we going to, if I am also breastfeeding, how are we going to navigate trying to find a way for me and my partner to get like four to five hour stretches. And so, you know, working with a lactation consultant, even before baby's here to explore what that could look like talking to your support circle. Are there people that you feel you could really trust to bring in who could spend the night? And, you know, while you go into another room and you put earplugs in and an eye mask on and you tune out your senses, cause you're going to be so sensitive to any noise the baby makes. And for maybe, you know, for a stretch of that night, you have someone else who is doing the nighttime parenting stuff. Maybe that's your partner. My partner actually experienced postpartum depression and he is really at high risk for depression after our children were born. And so during COVID, him and I had to navigate that just between the two of us. But outside of COVID, after our first with our second, we enlisted support to come so that we could both get sleep at night. For me, while I was still kind of working on getting the latch and my my milk supply and the breastfeeding, that looked like my mother-in-law actually bringing the baby to me in the other room. I was still half asleep. She would stay right there while I kind of slept on my side and nursed handed the baby right back to her, earplugs back in while she did the burping, the changing and everything else. So sleep, making a sleep plan, working with a lactation consultant beforehand, actually going into a group, watching other people breastfeed, seeing what that looks like, seeing what a latch looks like and understanding that this is, this is going to, not just feel like it just comes naturally, right? Like this is something you've never done before with someone who has, yeah, some like reflexes to like latch, but like this child has no life experience. And so you're being able to kind of get that support early on can be really supportive. If you have a history of anxiety or depression, trauma, getting connected with a therapist while you're expecting, while you're pregnant, anxiety, depression, Prenatal anxiety and depression are also very common. And so getting that support early on, establishing that relationship can also be really important. Also, you know, talking to your partner, if you're partnered about this transition, I think that a lot of times uh, we don't talk with our partners about the, about child rearing, about once this child is here, who's going to do what. And so we just sort of like Will kind of default into certain roles without having those conversations. And that can lead to a lot of resentment in relationships. Having a child can be a major stressor for partner relationships. And so having before the child is born conversations about what's nighttime parenting going to look like, who's going to do the grocery shopping, you know, what are our roles going to be? What are the boundaries going to be around work? What are those transitions going to look like? I actually have a free resource. It's a going back to work conversation starter card deck that you can download. And you can do this if you're going back to work after baby's born. But I think even while you're expecting, it'd be a great idea to download it. It just gives you all the questions that I think are really important for couples to have with each other. 
it just starts those conversations up so that you kind of know what kind of conversations should we be having before, you know, we transition back to work when we're not just all home, you know, with the baby, but also just, you know, what are the important things we want to kind of establish when it comes to dynamics in our home now that we have a child coming into the home. And then also talking to your friends and family members about what you, what expectations you have, roles you'd like for them to have, what things you might see changing. I think with friendships, that's, this is also just so important because I didn't expect the impact that, you know, this would all have on my friendships, having a child. And so having conversations with your friends about the fact that like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a big deal. And, you know, maybe this is a friend that you feel like you would love to check in on you. So identifying that person and sharing with them that, Hey, it would be, you know, I think it'd be so helpful if like you could support me by checking in every couple of weeks. You're like my point person. I would feel honored if someone asked me to be their point person and just having that supportive person that will check in on you and that you know that you can really be real with if you are struggling. And maybe that person could help you find support if you're in the thick of it and really struggling to even have the energy to find that support. But also talking about like boundary setting with your partner. Are there any boundaries we need to put in place with extended family members or conversations that we need to have before baby's born? So again, I just talked a lot, but like <laughs> these are all the different areas that are really important to pay attention to as you're preparing and putting protective factors into place before your, your baby's here. It's also valuable though. Like at certain times during this interview, like I've felt a little emotional because I'm like, I wish I could go back and know those things. But a lot of us are ill prepared. And so a huge goal of this conversation is that we can get these women more prepared than maybe we were. Because the one you said when you're talking about with your partner figuring out like different tasks, it's like, I didn't even know what was happening, but because I was home for 12 weeks and Drew only had a week off, I was the default parent for so many things. Like during when I feel like I should have had a break because, you know, maybe the baby was sleeping, I had to call the insurance company and get the baby on insurance. So it's like the mom sometimes get such a big load. And now that I'm six years down the road, I'm like, that's where it starts. That's where the load can be tipped too far in your direction. And it's really hard to get that tipped back to more even. So from the beginning, if we can equip these moms to be like, have the partner call the doctor, have the partner get the insurance, have like whatever it is for you guys, just make sure that you don't feel like you're getting swallowed up by motherhood and he's like doing fine because not that much has changed for him. Yeah. It's so true that it can start there, that the birthing person who is home potentially longer for their leave, which gosh, here in right. the US, whole nother subject, whole like- other subject that need, like, we need to be putting the non-birthing partner in a position like they need support too to have more time to bond, to be around, to notice the different little cues, all the things that we, when we're with our child more begin to like notice. And I think what happens there is that like, we know their routines, we know the cues, like 
we are home. And so then we maybe just default into making the appointments, taking to the appointments. And then yes, all of that, the defaulting to you and the load that you end up taking on can follow you years down the line and can impact so much your relationship with your partner, your levels of stress. I mean, there's this whole books and research done right. on this the impact that it can have on the person that's carrying all of that load. But it can also impact the other partner in terms of their bonding with the child, their sense of like, am I capable of doing this? Am I, am I a good parent? Oh, so many different layers to this. So I do think it's so important to early on have these conversations, you know, about, you know, and also when you enlist your partner and you pass some of this load to them to actually give it to them, you know, because I think what can happen is, you know, you're caring so much. So you're high, you're stressed and you're holding so many tabs open in your brain. I think that one of the ways that we kind of can respond to that is through control. Like maybe if I just can control everything, then I can manage all of this stress that I'm experiencing. But then that can translate into what we call a gatekeeping. So like, I'm going to pass this on to you, but now I'm going to like micromanage how you do it. And I think that there's room to share like, hey, I've been around, I've made these appointments before, or I've been around our child all this time. So like, I know little things here and there, and maybe I can share some of the things that I've noticed or some things that are helpful, but then I'm going to pass it to you. And I'm going to trust that just like I had to learn with time, with time and experience, you will learn too. And I trust that you're a capable human being who can learn and handle this. You might not do it exactly how I did it, but you know what? I think kids actually benefit from having parents that don't do things exactly the same. They experience different things. They learn different things. And, you know, I think that then as your load begins to lessen, you're going to feel less stress and you're going to enjoy the support that you have of a shared responsibility with your partner. This is such an important conversation. And even as your kids get older, still understanding. I remember I heard it when I was a first time mom. Someone said, my best piece of advice is just because your partner does it differently, doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. So do not step in. I was, to be very honest, I was such a swooping mom. Like I felt like I really knew Max. I knew how he liked things. And then eventually I was like, okay, Drew has to be able to calm a fussy baby. Like I cannot for the rest of my life be in charge of like the only one that can soothe. And like, yeah, yeah, I feel like we really disempower our partners when we feel like, nope, you're not doing good enough. So, and it's not like you're saying that, but when you're taking the baby back from them, that's what it feels like. Yeah. And a lot of times like in those moments of stress, when a baby is crying, we do snap. We do say like, what are you doing? Like, just give me the baby. Like it just, these these really can feel like ugly moments that happen when we're sleep deprived and we're stressed. And here's the thing though, is that those early stages of like, I'm the only one that can comfort the baby. So I just keep taking that on. I'm the only, I'm the only one that's making the appointments. What that can look like years down the line when you have, you know, school-age children some indicators of being the default parent is when when a child is upset, they only want you. When there are appointments to make, um, doctor appointments, social calendars, activities, you're the one that carries that load, that makes those appointments, that is always keeping those things in your mind. If you are going to take a shower or leave the house and you kind of have to like 
announce it or like prepare people for that. Like those are, those are signs. And this is not saying that your partner is a bad person, right? Like this is a dynamic that has occurred. There are conversations that may not have happened, or it's just been so long that you guys are stuck in these, these patterns. Your partner, if they're, if they identify as male may also not have had a strong model for how to be an involved parent who also helps right in the home, right? And so, and also when you look at like TV shows and movies, like and there's just not a lot of representation and models for how to do that. You know, it's always like the bumbling dad who's like, you know, screwing everything up. Like that's the like comedy relief in like the TV show or the movie. And so, you know, I think we got to look at the whole picture. And so I think that I'm a family therapist. I'm a couples therapist. My husband and I have had to go to couples therapy throughout different moments in our life because we have gotten stuck in these patterns, you know? And so getting that support and having that space to look at the whole picture at not just blaming one or the other, but how all of the different layers of the dynamic has led to this, this strain in the relationship and this strain for each of you is one of the most powerful steps I think that you can take for your family, for yourself, for your own mental wellness, but also for your children. Oh, this is, if you guys could see me, I just keep nodding my head because I just think that these are such important conversations. And one that I did want to have with you before we finish up here is around anxiety. Mm. So I think that so many women are left wondering, is what I'm feeling worry? Is it, is it normal? Is it just the average mom that worries about her children or when does it tip into anxiety and like something mm -hmm. that a woman might need some help getting through? Yeah. Such a good question. Okay. So when you, if you're the birthing person, when you give birth, there's actually been research that looks at a postpartum person's brain you know, during that fourth trimester. And they've actually seen that what somebody who has OCD's brain looks like in terms of what lights up in their brain around like obsessions, compulsions, similar things light up in the postpartum person's brain, like for most postpartum people. And the hypothesis there is that this is adaptive in some ways. It's like evolutionary. Like it's, you know, our ancestors to keep the, well, the ones who survived, the ones that kept themselves and their young safe, like were probably very hypervigilant, right? And kind of catastrophizing or forecasting what the threats could have been. Now, fast forward to where we are now. Yes, there's still threats, but we still have also a lot of, a lot more like safety things, measures put in place to keep us and our, our children safe and our babies safe, but we still can have intrusive, distressing thoughts. This is a lot more common than we might think, especially during that fourth trimester. Now, how do we know if these sort of, this sort of anxiety, these sort of worried thoughts are something where it's now becoming an anxiety disorder or we need more support? I always say first, if you're struggling, if you're having intrusive thoughts and maybe it's not impacting your functioning, because that would be an indicator that maybe this is, you know, slipping into more of like an anxiety disorder. If it's not impacting your functioning, but it's bothering you, you deserve support. Like mm -hmm. therapy can be useful for you and you don't have to just suffer or white knuckle through that. Right. Or just, or try to like distract yourself or numb. Like 
you can get support with that and have a new relationship with your anxiety when it pops up. Like how we kind of indicate if something is more like diagnosable anxiety disorder, like generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder is if it impacts your functioning, the number of symptoms that you're having for these, these different types of disorders, a big one to look at is like impact on functioning. Is it impacting your ability to take care of yourself, your child, to be able to work, to be able to complete tasks? That's a major, a major one. Is it impacting your relationships? If it is, then we might be looking at something in terms of more of an anxiety disorder and how we would determine what it is, is through the different symptoms that we're looking at. But yeah, it's, we all experience anxiety. We are all wired for anxiety. I'm not going to get rid of anxiety as Mm -hmm. your therapist. Like I'm going to support you in developing a new relationship with it because without anxiety, I wouldn't want to live without anxiety. Anxiety actually helps me focus when I'm like studying for something. It reminds me to pay my bills on time. You know, it gives me during this conversation, my little level of anxiety I had indicates to me, this is important to me. I wanted it to be prepared. So I prepared for our conversation. Now, obviously anxiety can surpass its level of helpfulness and go into a zone where now I actually can't focus because I, you know, am, you know, have ruminating thoughts and I feel hypervigilant. I feel on edge, but it's not about getting rid of anxiety. It's about how can I notice when that part of me pops up and turn towards it, acknowledge that it's, I can get why it popped up in maybe this situation or that situation and respond to it, relate to it in a different way where it doesn't jump in the driver's seat. I'm able to stay in the driver's seat and I'm actually not going to get swept up away into the spiral of anxiety. That is totally possible. And that's something that, that a therapist, I support my clients in being able to accomplish so they can get back into their life and feel present and feel like they are making decisions not based on anxiety, but based on what they value, what's important to them. And that they're able to, you know, have the freedom of not feeling so consumed and hooked by that anxiety when it pops up. I think you've had her on your podcast too, but one person I've interviewed, Chastity Holcomb. Oh yeah. She said it one time so beautifully. She said, you know, when you have a level of anxiety that helps you function in your daily life, it's like you have your spring jacket on. Mm. That's like normal. It feels good. She's like, you don't want to have this heavy winter jacket on all the time. And that's when you know, your anxiety is tipping into like, it's really impacting your function. It's impacting your ability to show up as a mom, as a partner, as a friend, like that's where we need to make sure that we're getting women more help. Yeah. And sometimes our, I love that metaphor and I love chastity. Um, Her and I have an episode together, identity after baby. So navigating your own identity. She's an incredible provider and human being. And you know, when it comes to looking at, at our anxiety, I just think that it's, it's really important to kind of look at how our body will signal to us that like, that's what's popping up. So sometimes it can be like headaches, stomach aches, like muscle tension. You'll notice that you, you know, your baby's sleeping, but now you're still up ruminating, right? So the, the racing thoughts that you're having, the hypervigilance, it can also show up as irritability and anger. So that, 
stress response that we can have when we're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or anxious is that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. One of those is fight. So sometimes when we're feeling threatened, right, or overwhelmed, the part of us that shows up is another emotion, anger. Sometimes it shows up as a protector emotion. It can show up and say, this feels really vulnerable. This feels really threatening. So I'm going to protect myself. And that can show up as like irritability, anger, and rage. And so it doesn't always look like the person worrying in the corner. It can look like someone who's just really irritable, you know, stomach aches, headaches, muscle tension, feeling like a caged animal, like they can't stop like trying to clean things and try to control their environment. Like that's what it can look like too. My gosh, that was such a good point. I think that my body often chooses fight, which I know for (laughs) women can be like anger feels so out of character for me, but I know during my motherhood that has shown up. Well, Dr. Cassidy, this has been such a valuable episode. I know that our listeners are going to get so much from this. I want you to tell everyone where they can find more of you. Thank you. So I am on Instagram trying to provide those sparks and those bridges to doing the deeper work because you deserve it. Um, You can find me there at Dr. Cassidy. And my podcast is called Holding Space. You can find it on Apple, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, tons of episodes in there for fertility, for preparing for postpartum and putting those protective factors into place for postpartum and parenting as well. And then you can learn more about my private practice and my therapy practice at my website, which is drcassidymft.com. And I'll share links with you that you can put in the show notes for the listeners to go and connect. Yes. Perfect. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, we would absolutely love it. If you shared it on Instagram, tagging expecting and empowered and Dr. Cassidy, and definitely go over and give her podcast a listen. Thank you so much for having me. I so valued our conversation today. I really hope that that it touches the person that, that needed to hear. And to the listener, thank you for taking the time to like set that boundary and tune in for yourself today. I really hope that you found something in here supportive and that you take that and, and maybe take a step to support yourself with whatever it is that you learned. <laughs>